electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Sharon Epperson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, a conversation with Caroline Wanga, CEO of Essence Communications, about how companies can implement meaningful inclusion practices that go beyond just hiring a chief diversity officer. She joined me at CNBC's At Work Summit on March 30th, 2021. Here's our conversation. Caroline, thanks so much for joining us. Let's get right to it. You know, a lot of organizations are grappling with how best to advance diversity, equity, inclusion in their companies. And they're asking a lot of questions, but are they asking the right questions? It seems to me there seems to be a similar approach in many organizations where you choose someone who is part of uh, human resources or attached to human resources and designate that person as the person who's going to be the lead for all DEI efforts for the whole company. Is that a sustainable approach? Is that an approach that promotes growth? Or what else should be done to make sure that DEI efforts really are done company-wide? Yeah, and thank you for having me here with you today, Sharon. Uh, Here's what I'll tell you. There's a phrase that I use that says, just because they make it in your size doesn't mean it fits. And what I mean by that is there are a plethora of ways that you can set up DNI within your organization. The key word is resources. Are you resourcing it? Is it resourced the right way and placed in the place where the resources will be leveraged for advancement? I have a size 11 foot, right? And so shopping for shoes for me can be somewhat of a not pleasant experience because I have a size that sits as an outlier. And so I can go to any store and purchase some shoes, but when I get to the place where I find a shoe that I like and I go to ask for my size, nine times out of 10, I know they're gonna tell me they don't have it. Why I keep doing it, I don't know. But (laughs) what is beautiful is there's a retailer out there who actually puts stickers that are green for my size shoe so that the experience that I'm having is equitable to the size eight women who never have to worry about what size shoe is available for them because they're in a more abundant size. Why does that connect to if they make it in, if they just because they make it in your size doesn't mean it fits? For one reason and one reason only. What we have to ensure we're being clear about if we, an organization wants to be driving diversity and inclusion, there's no widespread answer. In the same way that you set up your business through the lens of where it's best placed to make the impact that's important is the exact same approach that you need to take when you think about diversity and inclusion. If it means a green sticker for the size 11s, which means it sits in um, the finance function because that's the place where it's gonna happen, fine. If it is a size eight type solution where it sits in HR and reports to the CEO's dotted line, that's fine. The key piece within here is to be honest about the size of your program Don't try to mimic what other programs are doing. Set up your program through the lens that you set up your most important strategy. When you think about competing with your competitor, who do you put in charge of that? Put them in charge of DNI, watch your results. Put it on the side, say it's important, cut a check and never incorporate it. 
It's going to be the size 11 shoe that most of the time can't find what it needs. And eventually it just won't mean anything at all. Yeah. And you mentioned another approach that is quite common too, where it's one person is in charge of DNI. That person uh, ideally reports to the CEO, but shouldn't other people be held accountable? How large is the accountability when you're really trying to advance these efforts strategically? It's on the same scale as the business strategy, Sharon. I, I fully believe that um, diversity and inclusion is an all-in, full contact, participatory endeavor. Everybody plays a role. Not the same role, but the role they're best positioned to impact. And the choice not to play a role still plays a role. So what you actually need to do is think about the ecosystem of the organization, the marketing part, the human resources part, the finance part, however you're set up and ensure that you are articulating what is their role as a part of the organizational ecosystem in driving this forward, empower them and hold them accountable to their role and enforce it if they aren't following it. There's nobody in an organization that doesn't have a role. There's no function in an organization that doesn't have a role. It's actually about shared accountability based on realm of influence, focused on the impact they're supposed to make, based on the role they play in the business cycle in the very same way you divide a accountability for what you sell and exist to do as a business. It's the same roadmap. And people sometimes choose not to do it with DNI because they think it's more difficult. No, if I work there, it should be expected that I'm doing DNI unless I want to be promoted to consumer, right? We have to do the minimum right. viable product of what it means to be in DNI, not this kind of Maslow's hierarchy and needs self-actualization level. We don't need everybody to be an evangelist. I just need everybody to do the part that's about their job. The common thing around the people who are going to buy your product, whether it's businesses or consumers, is that their money's green. Go after the green. See what happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you're looking at making sure that everybody has a responsibility in the organization, there are still many organizations that are grappling with the question, how do I compensate or reward those who are following the DNI efforts that we've laid out? What do you say about that debate? See, I love this question, Sherry, because I think it's such a misnomer. I also think it's like the business environment contradicting itself. And here's what I mean. So I work here at this company. I bring with me uh, what I'm supposed to do every day in my job, and I'm supposed to be looking to do that every day. I don't look to be incented for showing up to work and do my job. You know what my incentive is? When I do that, it's my check every two weeks. That's my incentive That's right. for doing my job. So it's actually the wrong question, Sharon. It's not about how do you incent people to participate in diversity and inclusion? It's actually what's the consequence for not? Because we are not in a day and age where it is rewarded. It should be expected. It is vital to your business. It's your endocrine system of your business. And so if your kidney's failing, you don't get a you don't get a piece of cake and a lollipop. You go fix the <laughs> kidney is done. You get dialysis. You do something. And so I just think it's the wrong question. You don't get incented for participating in something that's the lifeblood of the future of your organization, just like you don't get incented to come to work every day. Oh, I'm sorry, you do. It's your check every two weeks. Therefore, if you don't do it, your check every two weeks becomes optional. Pick one. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to do it and you've got to show that you're doing it, right? I mean, a lot of companies are talking about what they're doing. They have fabulous websites. They make sure that it looks diverse wherever that tab is that says D&I. But how do you really show that you're committed to this? It's not as much about telling me that you're doing something, but show me how you're doing it. How do I do that as a leader in my company? I think there's a number of different ways that that happens. And I think that some of the ones that are most important 
is if you were to ask somebody who only plays the role of consumer of your business, they don't work with you, they're, they're not in it, right? So if you're in retail, the, the person that buys your products and comes into your store, what you will start to see is that showing that it matters is that it shows up in every part of what your business does. The product that you sell and who you get that product from, how people are supplying that, right? It, it plays a role in the environments and spaces that you own. So when I walk into a space affiliated with your brand, does it demonstrate that you have more than one type of consumer or does it look like it's for one consumer and the rest of us just get to the opportunity to visit, but it isn't designed for us, whether that be about physicality, whether that be about race and advertisement, what do your messages look like? It isn't just about, do you have one black person, one Asian person, a woman and a random, right? in your ad, it's actually about, are they of different sizes? Do they actually speak? Do they look perfected? Does it look choreographed? Or is it how people actually show up? At the end of the day, when I spend my money, I should be able to tell that who I spent my money with looks and believes in that. When I look at what I'm buying from you, that product should represent a bunch of different people, not just one majority group. When I look at the messages you're putting out about wanting me to come and engage with your brand, I should see me and a whole bunch of other people's me. And finally, as you look at what it means to be able to deliver that, there's one really easy way to do it, Sharon. Hire them. How do you make sure that that message gets to the people who are just entering the company and the people that have been there a long time waiting for their opportunity? You operate from a mindset of disruption. Because here's the thing, the work to fix your representation gaps in your organization, as you said, whether that be about advancement and, and representation at a particular level, whether that be about your entry level, will that be about your middle managers who tend to create the truth about who your organization is? The path to being able to have that be there will require that you're doing some sort of systemic disruption. What does your succession plan look like? Whatever color is on your succession plan is what your real roles are going to look like. It's a really simple formula. I remember uh, one of my colleagues joined me at one point um, in my career, and she was talking about what we needed to do to continue to create uh, a good set of apparel options. And one of the things that she said that I will never forget is she goes, Caroline, I'm responsible for expanding our clothing apparel line to women that are in what are categorized as plus sizes, but my team is too skinny and too white. How am I supposed to deliver that, right? And so the answer became, right. change the succession plan. If you're supposed to deliver to plus size women who represent a bunch of different brands. I'm not mad at the skinny girls. Handle that. I'm just saying you don't know what it's like to live this plus size life. And I can save you a couple of dollars by hiring more women that are of the size you are trying to sell to, to be able to right. actually make your money. It's not taking anything away from someone, but you have to disrupt the succession plans, the hiring plans, the recruiting plans, the advancement plans. You have to surround those people with the resources to be successful. You have to stand up for them when people try to take them down. And you have to ensure that the people that you are moving around are also being leveraged for their insight and expertise and are not tokens. Otherwise, you take steps backwards. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. 
Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you're trying to identify people, advance people, no matter where they are in the company, and you don't really understand why they are doing certain things, what their personal lives may be like that require them to do something or what their professional or educational background has been like that informs what their positions are right now, what their skills are right now and the contributions they're making. It can be difficult to make sure that you're being inclusive because you just don't understand. So I know we were talking earlier, you said it's very important to be where the people are. What do you mean by that? Sharon, one of my fundamental issues with the word inclusion is that it implies that you are getting invited into my house, but when you come, <laughs> my rules still stand. So you welcome to be included, but the, I'm still determining the terms, right? Because you're coming to the environment that I exist within. What I prefer is what I call mutuality or even the reversal of that, which is I leave my house, you leave your house, and we move into a new house together. And what that looks like is, I think there's three ways that you build that, but one of the ways that you do it is personal curiosity. In the very same way you go look up a recipe if you wanna cook something, in the same way you go look up something if you wanna fix something in your house, if you wanna understand more about people that aren't like you, go get curious in the same way you do about those things. There's an abundance of information and eliminates the burden being on the people you're trying to engage. Number two, immersive experiences. This is critical because this is where those that are sitting in the majority or accountable seat for talent, as an example, have to leave their comfort. Go to where the talent exists. So case in point, in Minneapolis, you take a group of entry-level, mid-level black men that work at a corporation. And instead of just meeting with them in a conference room in the building of your headquarters location, you go out and meet them in a black men's barbershop and have a okay. conversation with them there. Why? Okay. That's where they feel safe. That's where they feel safe. So if you want the story and the insight and the purpose that will help with what you have committed to do with your representation, make the people you're trying to engage with and recruit feel safer than you feel. They will tell Absolutely. you the truth. They will honor your presence and you will get the information that actually tangibly changes things that you don't get when you're sitting in a corporate boardroom looking for a PowerPoint presentation on diversity that is going to tell you the same things it's been telling you for 20 years. You just don't like the answer. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you say that because now I'm thinking about a CEO that I ran into years ago who was at a local jazz club slash Caribbean soul food restaurant. The last person that I would have expected to see there, a non-Black person in a very usually Black restaurant, but that is that was a place where many affluent people who were in financial services, who were in media, who were in business, who were entrepreneurs hung out. And so I think this CEO wanted to figure out where are the people? Like you said, where do they hang out? How do I get to know and network with people? And also love jazz. You know, how do I get to do this? So it's a very important point and for everyone to get out of their comfort zone, whether you're talking about being with people of color, people who have different abilities, wherever you need to go to reach people, 
you need to be there to see them. Um, there's so many questions, Caroline, as I said at, at the top, that people have, that employees wish companies were doing things faster, that leaders perhaps wish that they were making efforts faster, um, but they have a lot of questions and some are starting from ground zero and some are having to go back and redo what they didn't do exactly right the first time. What is your advice to leaders, managers, who are concerned that they're failing at this right now? Well, so here's my advice. And again, what's beautiful about this is corporate America already knows how to do stuff like this. They just don't want to do it when it's applied to diversity and inclusion, right? If you think about the research and development arm of any business, it is the arm that fails on a daily basis, right? Because they're testing and learning and testing and learning and testing and learning. And then finally, when something works and is viable, it comes out. Corporate America knows how to have an environment that can absorb the failure that comes with good intent, right? And so for me, diversity and inclusion is an exercise, right? It is a verb that actually will feel and look like failing until you don't. The point is that you keep trying the next thing and the next thing and the next thing till you find the thing that works. And then you evolve that thing and refine that thing as it exists to keep it and make it sustainable and systemically embedded. There, the, the piece that really fascinates me about diversity and inclusion in corporate America is that the first failure becomes a, see, I tried, it's not gonna work, go to hell. I don't care, right? Like it literally <laughs> becomes this complete give up. But Can't. anywhere else, you don't accommodate that everywhere else. It's a, you know, what did you learn from that? How are you going to be better? Why can't that language translate over to the innovation, the flexibility, the democratized discomfort that comes with trying to do the right thing and not getting it right every time, but not quitting till you do. I'm just calling out corporate America for the duality. You know how Absolutely. you have that muscle. You use it all day in your business. Simply apply it. Don't stop till you find the solution that works. Partner with those that can help you to get it done and keep the movement and the momentum agnostic of if the thing you activated is successful until you find something activated that is successful. No yeah. easy way out. There is no easy way out. And there's no simple question, Caroline. I know this, but we only have one minute left. And if there is a right question, the first question that you need to ask yourself as a leader, as a manager, as an employee at the company to make sure that you're advancing diversity and inclusion. What is that right question? The first one, one of many, but the first one. It's a super simple question, Sharon. It's who are you and what, what experiences made up who you are and what can I do to ensure that you continue to have positive experiences now that I get to operate with you? i.e. we've got folks that are now going to be slowly coming back to the workplace in some way, shape, or form post the pandemic. If an organization is simply trying to figure out how to bring their population back into the workplace and make sure that they are COVID safe, it's a stunted plan, a necessary plan, but a stunted one. Because what you're missing is the different question. It isn't about are we bringing our employees back safely so that they stay healthy. It's who are the employees we're bringing back based on what this pandemic has done over the last two years. They've buried family members. They've lost income. They've had the trauma of being quarantined. They've had to be mm -hmm. teachers. They've had to figure out how to work with their spouse that they're not usually around 20 hours a day, <laughs> right? You, you are not getting back the same people that transitioned out and some never got to go essential workers. So the thing that a company needs to understand, it's not just about the physical safety of returning back to the workplace. That's not the question. The question is who's coming back 
And what happened when they were gone? What did you learn about them or what did they experience? And are you creating the workplace that takes back the person that has been gone for two years and their life has forever been changed by what happened in the pandemic? Otherwise, your plan to bring them back safely might keep them physically safe, but psychologically, emotionally, you're still gonna fail to create the safety that helps them perform the role you hired them to do. Change the question. That was Caroline Wonga, CEO of Essence Communications. She joined me at CNBC's At Work Summit on March 30th, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For more information on upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, please visit cnbcevents.com. I'm Sharon Epperson. Thanks for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.